Well, this morning we're going to wrap up our study of uh, 1 Corinthians, but before we do, I just want to encourage uh, us as a church family and what Mark spoke of with the international students. This is something that we talked about last year and just asked the Lord to lead and guide us, and we do believe that He has answered that prayer, and we have the privilege to work in partnership with a like-minded church down the street at Redeemer, uh, who have spent the last year really kind of perfecting and improving and and allowing that system to work so that it really serves a real need and purpose. We've talked many, many times about how important it is to reach the nations for Christ. And not all of us can go to those nations, but we have a privilege when those nations come to us. And that's what this is all about. Uh, Being a witness for Christ, being the proof of His love, just like we just sang, uh, to these students who are coming. And what we hear over and over from the people who are involved in this, is they uh, are anxious to be a part of uh, a family, a home here, uh, so many miles away from where they live, to learn about this culture and to learn about what your life is all about. And so what a great privilege we have, and I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider being involved in that. I think it would be a real treat for each of us to really take that opportunity in partnership with Redeemer and reach out to these international students. So please consider that. So this morning we're going to finish up 1 Corinthians, and the way we're going to do it is by hearing some testimonies of those who have been personally impacted by Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And I think that's fitting, because I hope you, as I have, as we've gone through this letter, have realized that we're not all that different from the Corinthians, are we? Uh, We are experiencing some of the same things in in our life, in our culture, that they experienced in, in their life as well. You need to understand that that Paul is speaking to a people just like us. You remember when he began his letter, he speaks to them as he affirms their faith in Jesus Christ and and encourages them in that pursuit of knowing him and and that relationship that we have. Let me just read to you again, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4. Listen to what Paul says to this church in Corinth. He says, I thank my God always concerning you. For the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. These were believers. Just like you and I, trying to to understand what it means to live a life of faith in, in the world in which we live. And you'll remember that their devotion to Christ was in the midst of a of a pretty corrupt society, right? Now, it gave the appearance of being a very religious culture because there was a worship center on every street corner in the city of Corinth, much like there's a church on every street corner right here in Lubbock, Texas. But more often than not, those who gathered together were coming together more for the social impact, the, the, the gathering for just relationships outside of focusing on Christ. They weren't there for a true worship experience. There was something selfish in mind. Something advancing their own 
personal agenda. And so Paul is writing them to, to them to, to remind them of what's most important. Why, why do we do this? What's the purpose of, of Jesus Christ in a culture that is broken and corrupt because of sin? He, he's speaking to a people who have customized their faith in order to, to minimize inconvenience which is one of the main reasons there were divisions within the Corinthian church. Because you just surrounded yourself with people who were just like you, and that was a lot easier than fellowshipping with people who are different than you are. And so Paul is writing them, to them to, to help them understand that the church is called to something radically different. And that message from Paul to the people in Corinth applies equally as well to us today. Instead of working so hard to fit in, Paul is helping us understand how important it is to be set apart. To be a people that God has called for, for a purpose. Equipped uniquely for that purpose. You'll remember in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, He put the members of his body into that church body just as he desired. And, and then he goes on to say how he equips them each individually by indwelling them through the power of the Holy Spirit so that he may work all things for the common good of his people to the praise and glory of his name. You see, the church has a specific design in order to fulfill a specific purpose. It was true in Corinth and it's true right here in Melanie Park Church today. And so that message, that call to be radically different applies to us as well. We need to be a people whose lives declare the redemptive story of God. New creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. To be, as we learned uh, a couple of weeks ago, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. But that brings up a good question. How did the, the people in Corinth know that their labor was not in vain. And for that matter, how do we know that our labor is not in vain? Because if you look in our world today, it doesn't appear as if the church is making that big of an impact. In fact, many times, we're our own worst enemy, right? So how do we know what it looks like when, when we are making an impact that, that God has designed us to through the church? I think that's the reason Paul's message to Corinth is so important to us because he reminds us that this world is not our home, that our hope is not set on this side of heaven. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, he says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. His point is, and what a great reminder as he closes out that letter to the Corinthians, that, that we've been created for something so much greater than this world could ever offer. That there is something that, that we are being transformed to become it, the image of Christ. Not just here, but in the kingdom yet to come. We're being prepared for something yet future. To the point that we can still make an impact, even in the lives and in the world in which we live today. We're all in process of being transformed into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that what is true for Him becomes increasingly evident in our lives as well. Living in, in unity with one another, self-sacrificing love, 
humility, and grace. That's what God's called us to. So this morning, when you listen to these stories of transformation, I want you to listen for the evidence of the hope that is alive and well. The hope of the indwelling work of the Spirit transforming our lives to become more like Him. So when you listen to these stories, I want you to hear your story. Because that same Spirit that is alive and well in the lives of these people is equally effective in your life as well. So let me encourage you to listen with that heart in mind. And let me pray for our time. And then, Doug, why don't you come up and get us started. God, we come to you this morning just grateful that there's a story to tell. That our lives do speak of your redemptive work. That our hope in you is alive and well. Because it's Christ in me, that hope of glory. So, Father, I pray that what we hear this morning would be an encouragement. That it would be something that stimulates us to love and good deeds. And that allows us to be the people you've designed us to be for the praise and glory of your name. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Doug? When Todd asked me to consider doing this, it really didn't take very long before uh, a passage and a thought came to mind of what God had done in my life and jumped in pretty quick. And uh, it ties a lot to what he's talking about in terms of being, you know, what I'm doing being in vain. Uh, let me give a little background. For those who don't know me, I work for a group called The Navigators, ministering to international students. So I've enjoyed all that talk today, but also shepherd a number of staff across the nation. And it's not unusual for me to sit back at the end of the day and go, I've spent all day either talking to people on the phone or writing emails or checking things. Did it really make a difference? Or I'll be leading a Bible study with some uh, different international students and maybe we'll study weekly for a year or more. And I wonder if it's really changed anything. I haven't seen phys- you know, true belief in them yet. And so I keep asking myself, you know, is it making a difference? Am I making now, I'm having any impact. I like to see results from what I do. And so a passage in uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 4 through 6, if you want to turn there, is one that just as it was taught on and as I've spent some time thinking about it, has really opened up and uh, given me some real clear direction on what I need to be thinking about. And so uh, let me read the passage and then kind of explain what I've learned from it, and I think that might kind of tie to what... Um, you'll see God's done in me. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. And there are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And so as I started looking at this, I noticed this is, there's a lot of repetition here. Varieties is repeated three times. Same is repeated three times. And so I started taking each of those little passages and figuring out, Why is this in here, and how does it relate to the other ones? And so let me kind of walk through what my thoughts were. It starts off with the variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And so that's where it all has to start as I think about doing ministry with somebody, is they have to have a spiritual gift. And a spiritual gift is given to every believer. And so the real foundation is to have a spiritual gift and be able to minister, you have to be a believer in Christ and trust in him for your salvation. And so I see that as kind of the starting point for the spiritual gifts. 
It's like when you believe something is unlocked inside of you. I think when God makes us, he makes us all with talents and abilities. But at that point of belief, something extra is unlocked and we have an ability that we don't have before. And to me, that's what I think of when I think of spiritual gifts. And it talks about how there are a variety of gifts. And so it's not just one thing. There's a, there are varieties of gifts, all kinds of different ways that they can be used and seen. And a lot of times, I think it's easy for us to think of just the ones that are up front, you know, the evangelist or the teacher or the pastor. But as I was looking over the gifts, you know, preparing for this, I saw all of these gifts may be used up front very publicly, or they all may be used very privately in small groups or one-to-one. And so we need to be careful and not put that kind of boundaries on them. And I know that's easy for me to do, to think only those ones that really are up front count. But really what that's measuring is how that gift is used. And to me, that takes it to the second statement, the variety of ministries and the same Lord. And so what started standing out to me is first he gives the gifts, and then those gifts are used to minister, to, have to be a part of a ministry. And so they can have all kinds of different looks. Um, like the gift of administration doesn't always have to look like somebody who's very organized standing in the background with their little clipboard. Uh, for myself, with that gift, it affects how I teach. It affects how I lead. You know, it's organized, it's planned, it's methodical, and it's not with a clipboard. You know, the gift of mercy could be something I'm focusing on helping the poor, or counseling the troubled, or aiding struggling. And so each gift have, can have all kinds of different ministries that flow from it. But then it also talks about how all the ministries have the same Lord. And here's where I started really getting some answers to my struggles. Uh, with the same Lord, the word Lord is very important, I think. Because Lord implies authority and power and control. It is who, who we serve as we use our gift. You know, so for me, as I use my gift to serve the Lord, that's what I'm really ministering. That's what he desires, is for me to serve him. It reminds me of Mark 10, 45, which says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So even Christ came to serve. And so he served by dying on the cross. I serve in different ways. You know, God is glorified when I serve him. And I've noticed it kind of puts me in my right place because he becomes the one on the throne. I become the one following. He's in control. I'm serving. And it helps me have the right perspective on myself and what I'm doing. Then the last phrase, variety of effects, but the same God works all things and all peoples. You know, say I uh, give a, a lesson on money. And I teach and everybody likes it. Well, one person may be challenged to get their, organ their finances organized. Someone else may be convicted about greed. Uh, someone else could be challenged to give more. And someone else could be challenged to just be thankful for what they have. So it was one piece of ministry, but all these different effects come out of it. Now, it's easy for me and my own heart to, as I teach, think, this is what I'm teaching God and this is the effect I want. But that's not how it works. When I teach, God is the one that causes the effects. He does in different hearts what he wants to do. He's the Lord. He's in control. And so I don't get to determine what the results are. 
I figured out I get to pray for results. I can pray that people will get something out of it. And I prepare with that in mind. I don't just stand up and you know completely randomly speak without any preparation. But as I think about the results, that's something that God is in control. And so when I look at these three passages, I see he gives the gifts, he gives the results, the effects, but the middle piece is the one I have some say in. It's the ministry. A ministry is serving the Lord. And so that's how I need to rethink on my own measurement of myself. Not did people come to Christ or did people learn something in a Bible study or did everyone come up after I taught and said what a good job I did. But did I serve the Lord? And that's the question I've started asking myself is, am I serving the Lord with what he's given me? He's given me these gifts. Am I using them for his glory? And even with that, you know, as Todd was saying about, you know, being in vain, even when I'm serving the Lord, I still notice at times I get tired and I still step back and go, is it really having an effect? And it's at that point that I go back to that verse that, he, that Todd mentioned, 1 Corinthians 50, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work or service of the Lord, knowing that your toll Toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so as long as my focus is on serving the Lord with my gift, it's not going to be in vain. I may not see what happens. I may not ever know the result. But God promises through that verse that it's not in vain. And so now God's through this, these two passages is changing my perspective. I'm still very much in process on it. But he's helping me to start looking more at, am I putting my focus just on serving him and then letting him provide whatever results he desires. So that's what I've gotten. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> Doug is a faithful friend, and I think we've probably had that very conversation with each other about a hundred times over. <laughs> as one of us is coming to the other asking that question, is what I'm doing making any difference at all? So what a great reminder. Uh, that that may not be the right question. <laughs> in fact, based on what he just said, it's not the right question. The question is, am I being faithful? And that's a responsibility that every believer in Jesus Christ shares. Are we being faithful to do what God has called us to do and then entrusting him with the results and the effect of that ministry that we are a part of, serving him, knowing that our labor is not in vain? Uh, in addition to Doug, I've asked uh, his son, Taylor, uh, to speak to us this morning to share what God has done in his heart. And I wanted to do this because I wanted you to hear the perspective from a couple of different generations, uh, not just Doug, but also from Taylor and what uh, the Lord's been doing in his life as well. So, Taylor, if you don't mind coming forward, we'd love to, to hear what God's put on your heart. So, And I see you don't even bring paper. You bring some kind of digital format. So, Starting to wish I did print it out, but we'll see how this goes. Um... So with what I'm doing today is uh, focusing on 1 Corinthians 8, 9. Um, go ahead and turn there if you'd like to. Um, but this verse is going to be the foundation of really what I've been learning uh, in the context of this season of life recently. And so um, if you're there, uh, it says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Um, from this, uh, Todd was speaking in the sermon on Sunday that uh, it had a larger implication um, that our faith is acted out through love. And so um, I want to be focusing even more so on 
what does true love mean? Um, this summer, our college group, uh, college and career group, uh, meet here on Mondays, uh, was going through Galatians. And when we got to Galatians 5, um, Galatians 5, 6 stood out. Um, it's speaking to how do we act out in obedience our faith. And so like that, like my dad was saying, is there's different ministries, there's different gifts, there's different things going on, but it's all the same. And so what is that unifying thing? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Um, so that night we asked ourselves, what does that look like? What does that mean for our church? What does that mean for our group? Uh, what does that mean for the relationships we have? Um, and so uh, really we switched it and said, instead of trying to measure ourselves of, oh, what does uh, it look like to have a bunch of people baptized? What does it look like for um, a deep conversation that's really revealing? And those are all good things, but the goal became, what if we measured our faith in love um, and the acts of love? Um, so to further this thought, a recent perspective I've been focusing on is from a book Katie and I have been going through uh, with Jason and Jill uh, for premarital counseling. And it's the fact that um, sin, uh, we use as a definition, is our selfishness. Um, that's where most of our problems stem from. And so with that, we are continually confronted with the fact that we are sinners learning to love a sinner in a broken world. Um, but there's hope. Um, the Christ uh, sacrifice was given to us as an example of what love looks like in a broken world. Uh, he blessed us with the opportunity to witness and to experience his kingdom and his love through the conviction of the gui and guidance of the spirit and the growing community of fellowship of our church. And so because of this uh, sacrifice that God had, um, Katie and I have been able to give ourselves a theme in our relationship. Uh, and that theme is to push each other towards selflessness. Um, the best part about this theme, unfortunately, is the fact that it's hard and we're not very good at it. And so um, we're constantly being reminded of, oh, I was really wanting to spend my whole day with you. Oh, I was really wanting the wedding to work out this way. Oh, I was really wanting to invite these people. Um, but when we look down at what it boils down to is, oh, that's just my heart. That's my desire. I'm not looking about how to serve y'all, how to serve my future wife, how to serve my family. And so um, it's convicting when you're faced with that every day. Um, so taking all that back, um, we're right, rewinding to First Corinthians. We get to praise God for the fact that we do have freedom, um, that we are delivered from something and to something. And what we were delivered to is the fact that we do get to love each other in service. Um, that is our ministry. That is what faithfulness look like, looks like. Um, and also with that, the reason we get to enjoy this freedom is because we are formally welcomed into sharing our lives with each other. Uh, God's eternal, long-suffering, steadfast, joy-bringing, kingdom-minded, loving family. Um, and so with that, you see... It's not always easy. There are difficulties that we do overcome. There is reconciliation. There is justification. There is mercy. Um, but the fact that we're learning it's not easy and we do get to experience glimpses of his glory through all that. Um, we do get to see his promises of our future hope. And so I want to say thank you, uh, Melanie Park, for being that example of a place of what that looks like uh, for my family and getting to serve serve us with your ministry and for us being able to serve y'all 
Um, and then also for Katie and I, as we're seeking to serve with y'all and be get to know y'all. Um, so yeah, the theme of all this is that we were supposed to put aside our selfishness in opportunity to serve faithfully. And how do we serve? Serve through love. So thank you. <clears throat> we spent some time with Tanner and Courtney Ruffy recently, who just got married a few weeks ago, and one of the things that we've talked about is something that I've mentioned several times from the pulpit, and that is you don't really realize how selfish you are until you get married, <laughs> and then you realize that uh, there was a lot of life built around you. Uh, the second phase of uh, uh, that is when you have kids. <laughs> uh, you don't you don't realize how selfish you are since you've been married until you have kids. And then you've got to give yourself once again to, to care for the needs of others is more important than your own. I really like that, that idea of, of faith uh, being truly expressed in love. If you think about uh, what comes to my mind is when somebody asks Jesus, what's the greatest uh, command in all the Bible? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Second is just like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. And what's the common theme between the two of them? Love. Faith is expressed in love towards one another and in devotion towards God. So thanks so much, Taylor, for reminding us of that truth. So, uh, Lastly, we're going to have uh, Matt Wade come and, and uh, share his testimony. Uh, I'm excited about this one as well because he has a unique perspective as an attorney uh, who deals with helping people work through issues of reconciliation to take some of the things that we talked about in 1 Corinthians and see how that plays out in the real world. So I really look forward to what Matt has to say. So Matt, go ahead and come forward. Well, I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to come and share with you this morning. And the, uh, when Todd asked me to speak... Um, or to think about actually coming and speak to you about what 1 Corinthians has meant to me and how it's affected my life. I didn't answer him initially right off the bat. It's like, yep, I'm, I'm fired up about doing it, and I'm willing to do it. But when he did ask me, I did have something absolutely in mind immediately, and I finally decided to say, yes, I'll be glad to share this. So, if you will, if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in particular, um, this is the message, and some of y'all may remember this if you were here. This was the message that I call the second fiddle story that um, Todd gave us when he was talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you recall, this is a point where Paul is admonishing the church in Corinth about disputes among themselves, about how they should figure out a way to sit there and resolve those disputes internally as opposed to taking them outside. And as a lawyer, as Todd just uh, mentioned, if you'll look at verse 7, um, this is, it's interesting to me, and I, by the way, I think it's, it's obviously um, something that you need to put in, into place, but the very fact, verse 7, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have completely defeated, you have been completely defeated already. And these are the key things for me. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Part of the story 
that Todd told us when he brought this to us, when he gave his message that morning, as he told the story about Leonard Bernstein. And when somebody asked him what's the toughest um, position to fill in an orchestra, and his answer was filling second fiddle. And then he had this phrase, and this is the phrase that came to my mind immediately when Todd asked me to speak. And this phrase was, there can be no harmony without humility. And when he said that, I'll be honest with you, I know Paul's talking about, um, talking about issues and disputes within the church of Corinth. But for me, when he said that, what immediately came to mind is an issue that I have at work. I know that none of y'all have any issues at work and everything's perfectly harmonious at work. But for me, as with another attorney, a coworker, someone whom I have to work with, and quite frankly, there's, especially then, there just wasn't a lot of harmony. And so when it hit me, I thought, great idea. Harmony requires humility. So my first thought was this, and this is quite frankly, how the practice went in. And so you'll see where, the, where I was wrong here very shortly. But my first thought was this. Humility. I can do that. Just ask me. I'm the most humble person out there. <laughs> right? I can easily do that. The second thought that I had is that there would be immediate results. So, with that first thought in mind, I found just how hard it is to be truly humble. I found that when I thought that I was being truly humble, I was being resentful. And I was resenting the person that I'm supposed to be seeking harmony with. So what does that tell you, and what did it tell me? First, it told me that I hadn't been in prayer enough to ask the Lord to help me. That's what it first told me. The second thing it told me, and what we've been kind of talking about this entire time, is how truly selfish you can be. Because that, that was my problem, right? If I think that I'm being humble for the sake of harmony, and I end up resenting the person who I'm supposed to be harmonious with, that's my problem. I don't know about you, but when you go to prayer with those types of things, and when you sit there and you pray about a situation, a lot of times I find myself staring in a mirror. The Lord's reminding me of things that I have to sit there and deal with myself, and I have to seek him first, right? The other thing that was surprising to me is, why on earth does this person not realize how humble I'm being? <laughs> why aren't they receptive to it, and why aren't they becoming more harmonious in the relationship. And so it's still very much a work in progress, and it is still very much what the Lord is trying to teach me about myself and about what I need to do. Because if, if you'll think about this, and when Todd was talking about this, and this was another situation that came to mind, is your relationship with your spouse. A man and I have been married for 15 years, and I know it must be a surprise that once or twice in those 15 years we've had a slight disagreement. In, that, in those times we've had those disagreements, when 
neither party is willing to be humble. You find yourself in a difficult situation. You end up getting angry with one another. And for us, you always end up coming back to realizing, being convicted that you were wrong. And it has been a while and it has been a teaching moment for us that just as what Paul says here in that relationship, why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? Because like the church, and like it's so important to have unity within the church, it's so important to have unity with your spouse. And for us, especially in front of your children, do you not think that they notice it? So, what we're learning, and what I've learned, is that right there. Because in the end, when you come back and you have to apologize to one another, you have to forgive one another, all the tears have been shed, you think about what you were arguing about to begin with, and it's the most silliest thing on the face of the planet compared to relationship with your spouse. Right? Just like with the coworker. If it, if myself, if my selfishness is getting in the way of the message of the Lord as he uses me, then whatever it is that is affecting that harmony, I need to learn the humility. And I have found that that's not an easy thing to do. It's a much tougher thing to do. So, I've said it a million times in my own head at work. I've said it in my head at home, my own head at home. But I just want to let you know it's still a process, very much one that is I need to follow, and then it's going to take time. And it also has required me one other thing that went with it, and then, and then I'll, I'll stop. But one other thing that is absolutely part of this story, and it combines with what my adult Bible fellowship was studying at the time, is, um, you know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, that you are to pray for those whom persecute you. Now, um, for us, our definition of persecute, for the most part, is a much broader definition because I think that some people, persecute means, could be life or death type persecution. For most of us, we do not have that type of persecution, but we're still nevertheless could be persecuted by coworkers, by whomever. And the other thing I've found that in this, because it started off with when I first remember, you know, I started getting resentful of the person who couldn't recognize how humble I was being. Um, one of the things that I started doing, obviously, after studying in Matthew and because of what um, Todd and what we studied in Corinthians, is praying for the other person. And once again, I don't know how um, it's affecting his life. Um, but it's affecting mine, and it's affecting my relationship with him, and it's reminding me that if what I'm doing is affecting the message of the Lord to him, then Matt, keep working. Keep working at it. So, thank you. been a while since we've done this where we've taken the time on a Sunday morning to hear from folks within our own church family 
And uh, that's too bad because uh, I'm always encouraged uh, just to hear the perspective of folks that are here within our church body who give evidence of the fact that we're all in process, that God's Word is living and active and it's changing all of our hearts, and that there's not a person in this room that doesn't have places that they need to grow and mature and, and move closer to their walk with Christ. And so these testimonies are a good reminder of that, that we're in this thing together. And I hope you're encouraged by that. As we finish up, I want to leave you with three things. So if you would, take out your bulletin, because I want you to write these down. The, these are three takeaways from our time in 1 Corinthians that I think we need to make sure we don't miss. And uh, so let me encourage you to write these down. The first one is kind of twofold, but I'm going to put them together because they relate uh, with one another. You, they're, they're inseparable. And it is this. Protect unity. Live in community. Protect unity. Live in community. So that's the first one. The idea here is just what Matt spoke to. Humility has to precede harmony. Pride stands opposed to the purpose of God in our lives. It's true for the Corinthians. It's true for you and I as well. You'll remember, I mentioned it early on when we started walking through the, the questions that the Corinthians were asking of Paul. Because he responds to them as to this issue and then he gives an answer. But I told you and I believe that it's true that these really weren't questions. These were opinions that had been formed by the Corinthian church that they were writing to Paul about seeking his approval. The point is their mind was already made up. They had it all figured out. And Paul gently but very clearly redirects them and teaches them what it looks like to be humble and to have a, a teachable heart. To, to realize that God has a purpose in His church and that He has put us together for that purpose. And that with any context of a body of believers just like this one, there are two things that exist. And they are these. Every single person in this room has something to contribute to the work of ministry, to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. Every person has something to contribute. The second is this. Every person has something to learn. Every person is growing and, and maturing and, and deepening in their walk with Jesus Christ. And that's true for any body of believers at any time in the history of the church. Ours being no exception. Every single one of you has something to contribute to the work of ministry, to the building up of the saints, to the glory and praise of God. And every single one of you has something to learn because we're all in process. So that, that's the first one. Protect unity, live in community. And they're connected together because you can't protect unity if you don't live in community because you're separated from it. How can you protect something that which you're not connected to? So they're inseparable in that regard. Protect unity, live in community. The second one is this. Reject worldviews that conflict with the Christian ethic. Reject worldviews that conflict with the Christian ethic. As we have walked through this study of 1 Corinthians, we've seen that the, probably the main reason for their compromise of faith within that church is because they were looking for ways to fit in to the world around them 
instead of truly understanding what it means to be set apart as a people of God. They had customized their faith so that it was convenient and and looked as close as possible to what everybody else looked like, so that way they wouldn't be set apart. And Paul is reminding them, look, that defeats the purpose. The people of God are supposed to be peculiar. They're supposed to stand out and, and look different than the world around them, but in a way that's attractive. So that they look at your life and they say, you know, there's something different about Lance. I don't know what it is, but the way he lives his life in his marriage, the way he cares for his kids, there, there's something about him. And I'd like to know what that is. And, and that's the life that we're all called to. My son and I have had multiple conversations. So I'm speaking to you guys. The tendency as a high school student, it's true for me and it's true for you, is that the goal is to be popular, to be in the in crowd, to be included with the main group. And oftentimes that pursuit creates compromise because I can't on one hand be accepted by everybody else and at the same time stand firm in my convictions of faith. I've got to make a choice. And so let me encourage you, as Paul has encouraged the church in Corinth, there's only one of those choices that you will never, ever regret. And that is a firm, faithful conviction to following Jesus Christ. Even if it means I stand out from the crowd around me. But that's a good thing. Because in the end, there are people who will come to you because of that conviction and commitment and say to you I want to know what that's all about because what you have is missing in my life tell me what that means and so that's an important message that we can't lose sight of so live in unity live in community reject the world's uh, scenario the world's values that conflict with the Christian ethic. And then the last one is this. Live in the light of a future hope. Here's reality. We live in a sin-cursed world. It is not as it should be. We are not um, intended by God to create a heaven on earth. As if somehow we are going to transform all that is evil and vile in the world around us into a paradise. A garden of Eden. That's not our job. Our job is to be a light in a very dark world. That will only change on the day in which he makes all things new. He recreates everything where there is no sin, there is no suffering, there is no pain. And until that day... We are to be a light in a very dark world. There's a passage in Romans that I want to read to you. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Just listen to what this has to say. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, 
the redemption of our body, for in hope we have been saved. That idea uh, of groaning tells me, the way I interpret that personally is is that feeling inside of you that says, there's got to be more. It just groans, there's got to be more. And the scripture's telling us is that's true for all of creation. All of creation is saying, there's got to be more. And the answer to that is, there is. It's just not this side of heaven. All that we have been created for exists only in that day when he makes all things new. And until then, we groan for the redemption that is yet to come. We live today in the hope of things yet future. But that doesn't mean that this doesn't matter. Because if we're faithful to do those things that we've already talked about, living in community, preserving and protecting unity, rejecting the the worldview for a Christian ethic of following Christ as he's called us to, then we're being transformed. There's a passage in Philippians that says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And on that day, it's done. Complete for all eternity. And so here's what I want you to consider. If today we are being transformed for a day yet future, we can have assurance that when our lives are being made more like Christ, then the light of our life shines brighter and brighter in the very dark world around us. So can we make an impact? Absolutely. As we're being transformed for things yet to come, we make a difference in the world right here and right now. But our hope is not in this world. It's in what is yet to come. The promise of eternal life. And that's what we ultimately live for. So when you think about Corinthians, I want you to think about those three main points. And I would encourage you this week to even just spend some time uh, prayerfully considering what that looks like in your life. Do what these testimonies have done for you this morning in that they've taken things that were said on Sunday morning and said, okay, so what difference does that make to me? How does this apply to my life? So take those three things and see how they might apply. But I'm encouraged. So thank you, Matt and Taylor and Doug. Uh, for sharing your testimony, and I'm grateful that they are representative of so many others that exist within this church body because God's Word is living and active, and it changes our lives. You can bet your life on it. So let me pray for our time. Father, thank you so much for that promise, that hope that we have in you. The conviction of things yet to come that give us hope and purpose for the life we live right here now. Thank you for the reminder that that we need to put our trust in you to to live within your design and believe that that's where your goodness is, that it's built into that. And, And even if it requires us to stand out from the popular crowd, that we can be firm in our convictions knowing that what you have called us to is what ultimately brings the greatest satisfaction in our heart and everything else is a deceitful ploy of the enemy. Father, thank you for that reminder to live in unity with each other, to to protect the fellowship that you've created to accomplish your purposes that ultimately brings praise and glory to your name, that fulfills our hearts because of a trust and faithful obedience to you. Help us to be that people that really does exemplify to the world around us what it means to love one another in grace and forgiveness reconciliation 
and ultimately hope and trust in you. May we be that people changed by your truth to live lives that bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great day.